Hi, this is Bentley. And this is uh, um, Dr. Ian uh, Malcolm. And this is the Re View Podcast. Podcast. Welcome, Dr. Malcolm. <laughs> You're my favorite character in Jurassic Park. You, you, you do have you have you do have dinosaurs on this podcast, right? We do, we do have dinosaurs on your on your dinosaur podcast. Yes, we do. Because without Jurassic Park, there actually wouldn't be any dinosaur movies. I'm sorry, I don't count Godzilla as a dinosaur. Oh, well, this is actually Samuel uh, joining my father here to discuss... Are you going to walk out now because I said Godzilla isn't a dinosaur? No, that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. In fact, there are members of the Godzilla community that get upset if you call him a dinosaur, blah, blah, blah. It's, that's really interesting. This is not a Godzilla podcast. I can turn it into that, but we're not doing that. We're doing Jurassic sure we Park, can. folks. we can. do that. But we're going to do Jurassic Park because the fifth installment of the franchise is out right now, and this year marks the 25th anniversary of the very first Jurassic Park in 25 years is a perfectly long time to let some piece of pop art sit and then come back and reevaluate. This yeah. is perfect for the podcast. Yeah, a quarter century of Jurassic Park. Wow, that's pretty amazing. It's I mean, crazy. I still think of it as like a few days ago. I saw something on Facebook recently that gets at sort of how Gen X thinks about time. Like it was like, when somebody says 30 years ago, I think... 1970 and i still sort of think that but 30 years ago is about to be 1990 yeah which is uh horrifying for me as well don't worry um <laughs> but we went back and re we watched not only jurassic park but jurassic park the lost world and jurassic park 3 we gave a holistic view of the original trilogy uh letting us see exactly where it kind of twists and turns and uh and i saw lost world the fourth one where they reboot the franchise uh, we both saw that in the theater uh, jurassic world lost jurassic world, world is the second one yeah, yeah, yeah. Jurassic, yeah world. jurassic world uh, we, we saw... haven't seen the new one the fifth one we have not seen but it. we'll loop back around to that so <clears throat> jurassic park you know i do want to give it its props i want to be clear that when we review something we're looking at it as a piece of art going forward Right. Like, I think we've had other podcasts where one or both of us say, well, you know, this is a really important piece of the history of our culture, but it doesn't really have to carry forward. We just did 2001 A Space Odyssey. Nobody needs to watch that ever again. No, we don't believe that. So Jurassic Park is important because before this you had Godzilla movies, which were primarily some guy in a rubber suit walking around a model of a city and it has its own charm. And then you had a few... You know, Herringhausen pieces, like uh, a scene in the original King Kong where he wrestles what's supposed to be a dinosaur. But there was no pure monster movie that featured realistic scientific interpretations of dinosaurs. Yep. And our understanding of dinosaurs has advanced since Jurassic Park. I mean, now you have this whole debate in the community about, you know, feathered dinosaurs and the whole thing. So, you know, it's still not... Perfectly scientific accurate, but it's an excellent snapshot of what we were looking for at the time in a film about dinosaurs. I mean, it delivered on all of its promises. You look at all the marketing, you look at the way it pitches itself, you look at the way it presents itself. You know, this is a film about dinosaurs. You know, we know why you came here, yeah. and we're going to realize them with the very best of the technology that we can. It's a mixture of puppetry and CGI and guys in suits and animatronics, you know, they're using every tool of the trade to bring these various dinosaurs of all different shapes and sizes and and behaviors to life. And so does it still work? Not 
Really? Unfortunately, the problem is when they put so much effort into making the dinosaurs as good as they could, what really falls down on its face is the script. The script is not great for the first Jurassic Park, and some of the acting is is not quite as good as I remembered it. You know, I had a lot of fond memories of Sam Neill as Dr. Alan Grant, but I realized as we did this rewatch of the three original films, a lot of my love for that character comes from Jurassic Park 3, which we'll get to later. Yeah, but, and of course I love Ian Malcolm. I love the guy who is the iconoclast. I love the chaos theory guy who's like, uh, this isn't going to work, except... Most of the stuff that we remember from uh, Dr. Malcolm in the first one, there, it's not a lot. He he has like one good scene where he sort of encapsulates that point of view. And then he has like two or three other good lines during the action stuff. And that's it. Yeah, no. There's not a lot. There's not a lot of Jeff Goldblum in this movie. Like you go back, there's not a lot of necessarily any of the... Well, there's also not a lot of dinosaurs, right? If you look under the IMDb trivia, which we continually recommend, it's very interesting for these three movies. There's only like nine minutes of screen time for dinosaurs. Yeah, like a two-hour movie. Yeah. So, I mean, it just also goes to show how difficult it was to realize this concept, even at the time. Well, I think the CGI really doesn't hold up. The CGI is really not good, folks. I mean, the CGI is not there. It's as good as they could do at the time. I appreciate that. I understand that. But... It looks very plasticky. We have advanced so far. It looks muddy to me. It looks... The textures on the dinosaurs themselves are so low quality that when you see something that's puppeteering or animatronic it just jumps out it looks clearly because they, yeah yeah because they had to <clears throat> make skin for it but yeah. that wasn't your main criticism of the aesthetics of the movie you really kept coming back to a lot of the set design because well, it art direction plastic. yeah so <laughs> the, the dinosaurs looked plastic and when you go back and watch the first Jurassic Park really watch the first one so much of it is clearly just filmed in black backlot Hollywood right like say they throw up some ferns and, you know, they've got that little hillside where Newman is trying to escape and it's raining and there's a little waterfall. And it's just so clearly a set, yeah. right, inside of a warehouse. And it just, the whole thing feels fake. Yeah. I mean, they did some location filming and there actually was a real hurricane that, that hit the set at one point And they used footage from that. But a lot of this, you can tell, is just very... Fakey, I guess that would be the word. I don't know. When I uh, see the setup for the park itself, you know, like the big pillars and they're driving here and driving there, it just, I can see that it's cardboard. I no. feel like I can see that it's just now, a, a facade. In the film's defense, one possible interpretation of that is that maybe that is the point. That the park itself is plasticky and fake and it yeah, can't maybe. contain the forces that it has inside of it. And so they, they're putting all these little fun little dinosaur merchandise everywhere. And they've got all these fun little theme park rides and everything's this horrible nineties art design. It's like the nineties could never hold these dinosaurs back. You know, your, (laughs) your, your, your horrible day glow coloration can't stop anything. You know, it's, that would be my only defense of it. I do agree with you, but I'm saying that if somebody made that argument to me, I would listen to that. Um, but I don't think that excuses the weaknesses in, the script and the setup and some of the characters' logic and their decision right. making. So I'll I'll buy what you just said. Uh, it is a monumental film in the history of Hollywood, and yet and yet, uh, you know, even though Hammond is kind of cute and Malcolm is somewhat interesting, uh, I hate the Sam Neill character. <laughs> He's just so flat 
And we've got all the kids endangerment stuff that Spielberg always does, no matter what the movie is. And some of the things that happen, you know, like the truck falling out of the tree, they're just so perfectly cute. They, it just comes across as too fake and too cute for me that, that all the coincidences uh, and, and all the near misses, and it, it just feels too childish and you know it's hard to argue with spielberg's instincts because it was a gigantic blockbuster smash it held the record at the box office for for many years i think until titanic came along and this movie because spielberg you know jumped on the novel before it was even published he knew Crichton had good ideas because some of Crichton's other stuff had already been turned into movies and this guy got a piece of the box office spielberg gets a check for 250 Fifty million dollars for the first Jurassic Park. It's hard to argue with that. It is hard to argue. Uh, success doesn't allow for a lot of disagreement, but I think ultimately, as a piece of art, it is pretty hollow. I think it's strange of him to criticize this uh, or, or present the thesis of this as as being kind of anti theme park ride anti-gamification of the the dinosaurs when that's exactly what he's done right it's exactly what he's done he's he's made them into a sideshow attraction you know every every single thing you see in the gift shop in jurassic park was literally a real piece of merchandise that they made to sell to fans of the movie yeah right so there's never a moment when you're watching this movie where you can forget that yeah this is a gigantic marketing thing i was joking while we watched it this weekend that basically this is spielberg's grab for some of that star wars toy money yeah this is a intensely commercial enterprise and that's fine we love blockbuster films i mean we love yes. stuff that has a budget of 250 million dollars. Yeah, we don't hold it against the art no like some there are a lot of critics who do you know if you have over 10 million dollars in your budget you're not art right. that's not true we don't believe that right but there is a difference between having a high budget and feeling at times a lot like an advertisement like yeah. this feels a lot less there there are certain points where it's like you know what it almost goes back to our criticisms of, of other films where it's like am i watching a film or am i watching a toy commercial yeah and there are some great moments of organic storytelling there are some good lines there are some great characters i really do like hammond's character i do like what richard attenborough brings to the mm-hmm. table mm-hmm. i do think it's a role worthy of his skills i I think the script for him is quite strong because he has a very clear arc. Uh, you know, he's evil Walt Disney. Well, he's Walt Disney who's made Pirates of the Caribbean that can eat people. I don't think <laughs> right. he's evil. I think he is. In fact, I think he has a lot of instincts that a lot of people would see as very noble. You know, this naturalism, this idea that he doesn't want the park to just be for the super rich. But his arrogance is his failing. Mm -hmm. he's not he's quite generous he's quite kind he seems to really care about this stuff uh in a perverse but but honest way but i think his failure is his arrogance you know he he's he's so arrogant he brings his grandchildren to this island when it's going through a test run like like these like well so that's the theme of the whole series is the arrogance of man yeah Right, so uh, you're right. I, it's unfair for me to pin that just on Hammond because they show it over and over and over in every single movie and in most of the characters. Yeah. <laughs> there are few, very few characters who get away clean 
with a humble sense of man in nature. Yeah. So that's kind of what we came away with from the first Jurassic Park. But we were not undaunted. We did not pause in our quest to find (laughs) uh, the best Jurassic Park movie. So we leapt into Jurassic Park, The Lost World. And what's funny is, uh, so Spielberg has directed, uh, this is like the first really pure sequel he's done other than Indiana Jones, right? He's directed the Indiana Jones series. Those are sequels. And then there's this. And that's it. Yeah. Those are the only sequels he's ever done. Yeah. So I think he, uh, if I read correctly, he was uh, a little bit reluctant to do this. Um, one of your favorite directors wanted to do the second one. But... Yeah, Joe Johnston, uh, one of my favorite directors, contemporaries of Spielberg and Ron Howard and George Lucas. I mean, those are all you know, the class of 77, as they're, you know, nicknamed. They're all there. They're all contemporaries. They've all had varying levels of success. Mm -hmm. But between that friend group, I I don't think they perceive, I mean, they're all buddies. They all know each other. Yeah. Joe Johnson just straight up asked, like, like one friend to another, hey, if you do a Jurassic Park sequel, can I direct it? And Spielberg was like, I think I might want to do the second one, but, you know, third one's yours. Like, it was that. It was the gentleman's agreement. So... I actually give Spielberg props for wanting to do the second one because what happens in between the first one and the second one is Schindler's List, right? Yeah. He wins the Oscar for for tackling something that is obviously uh, a very important story for humanity, but also a very important story for anyone of Jewish uh, ethnicity or faith. Uh, so it was a really big deal, and there are a lot of stories about how Spielberg had trouble, you know, kind of... <laughs> doing the post-editing on the first Jurassic Park while he's filming, he's, he's literally directing Schindler's List, right? He spends all day with Schindler's List, and it's such an emotional draw on him. Like, there's stories of him calling Robin Williams and saying, look, just tell me some jokes, right, so that I can go to sleep at night. Uh, and he has to take an hour in between filming Schindler's List on a day and then talking to, like, the CGI guys back in California about, like, well, this, this dinosaur doesn't move quite right, you know, because <laughs> it's trivial, to do a sci-fi fun story about dinosaur monsters, you know, is is fake horror, whereas Schindler's List is real horror. And so I can see a very clear difference between the tone of the first one, which I find too plastically and flat, and the second one, which is where you start to see decay, right? The engine uh, facilities on a second island are, are they're overgrown, it's all dirty, uh, there's been destruction... Uh, the second one is much earthier, much dirtier, much grittier. Uh, there's much more of it filmed on location. It feels almost like a completely different movie. And the aesthetics of it do not date it as strongly as the aesthetics no. of Jurassic Park 1. Mm-mm. The aesthetics of Jurassic Park 2 are very uh, military. You know, this yeah. is a, they come up against an opposing engine force that is, you know, it's a hunting party, but they've got a lot of Humvees, and they've got a lot of guns, and they've got a lot of heavy technology. And that aesthetic does not age as badly as, like, the day-glow, you know, Jeeps that are painted orange in, in Jurassic Park <laughs> 1. And it's also a movie that gets turned over almost entirely to Jeff Goldblum. And Which Jeff, I think is great! Yeah, and Jeff really gets to run wild in the best way. I mean, he's given a much better script... He's allowed to do a lot more of the iconic things that we associate with Jeff Goldblum. He's right. doing a lot more of the, the kind of half-stuttering, quick wit. Very observational. Like, his humor is he observes something after somebody else says something. Yeah, he he is... But he also doesn't feel 
too cool for school. He's still I, he's still someone you can identify with. He seems to be the only person at the start. He is the only person who respects the power of this place. And well, he is suffering from PTSD. And yeah. they talk a lot about how his life has been uh, really put into a tailspin because of, you know, PR dirt that gets slung at him. Right. And you kind of meet him, maybe not at the bottom. You know, he's not, you know, at the bottom of life, but he's, you know, he's taking the subway. He's, he's... Well, right, yeah, he's on the subway. He's and not a rock star mathematician anymore. Right, right. You see him in the first one, and he's sort of like a, a hotshot who's gotten some PR buzz, and, uh, you know, clearly he is kind of riding this crest of American celebrity, you know, such as a scientist would have, right? That's why he's brought to the island, because uh, he's kind of a name, you know, he's a new, fresh face, and he says mildly interesting things. But in the second one, you can tell he's been chased by a T-Rex, right? I mean, he's weathered. He's much more cautious. He's twitchy. And so the same way that I see the transition in Spielberg's directing, you can see Goldblum do a much better job with that character, right? It's a character with history. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's you can see the weight, and you can see kind of how he started to take more responsibility for himself and for others as well. Yeah. You can see it uh, in the way that he interacts with his daughter and the way he interacts with his girlfriend, played by... Uh, it's, it's Julianne Moore, isn't it? Yeah, it's Julianne Moore. I, I don't actually... I, do we talk about the two main female leads? I, I don't know. It's, it's tough for me. I really don't like Laura Dern in the first one. Uh, I think she does play a believable scientist. I, we should talk actually for a second about Dr. Alan Grant as a scientist, right? There was actually an idea when Spielberg is starting to put the first Jurassic Park together that he's going to get Harrison Ford to play the famous paleontologist. No, you don't. Don't yeah. do that. Everybody thinks of him as Indiana Jones. You can't make him another in-the-field action scientist. That's a terrible idea. Wearing that hat. It's, like... it's ridiculous. So as much as I don't like Dr. Grant in the first one, and I don't really like Laura Dern, it's because they're given a lot of wooden dialogue. But you know what? Ultimately, they do kind of act like scientists. Scientists are not adventurers. Yeah. They're, they're not... You know, they, they, they talk to each other as scientists in the first one. So I do appreciate that. I just don't, there's not much there there. It goes back to territory that we've trod on before where it's like, okay, yeah, I believe them as scientists, but that doesn't necessarily make them the most interesting people to watch. Right. Or the most right. Uh, nuanced characters, you know. So Malcolm's we, got more shape to him. Right. right. And, well, he sort of runs circles around them in the first one. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and the second one, it, it just has a lot more... I think nuance in general to it. You know, the bad guys are not necessarily the worst people ever. And, you know, Malcolm has people on his team that have uh, checkered past, as we learn. Vince Vaughn has done yep. pretty... Uh, some eco-terrorism. Some eco-terrorism, it's implied. You know, it's yep. this is a more complicated world. But it, also no clear good guys or bad guys. I, I, that's another thing that it felt way too plasticky in the first one is, you know, the guy who played Newman on Seinfeld... You know, just this cartoonish nerd hacker villain. Yeah. There, there was nothing to like about him. He was he was just comedic relief. It was stupid. Whereas the hunters in the second one, oh. you know, they're, they're all these layers and nobody's clearly a good guy or a bad guy. Like the lead hunter gets to walk away clean in episode two, right? In The Lost World. You know, he does his thing, but he understands what is happening here, man versus nature, and he walks away clean. Yeah. And he's um, not a raging jerk. 
Yeah. Right? Be, Pete, Pete Pos- Proselwaite. Proselwaite. He's a great actor. I was so happy when I saw that they cast him in the second one. And uh, he does a fantastic job being a human, not just a cartoon yeah. villain. Yeah, no, he's really got a lot of nuance to him, and he's a lot of fun just to just to watch. You know, he really has no... Uh, at one point, they show him riding in a Jeep trying to identify the dinosaurs, and, you know, every five-year-old in the audience knows exactly what he's doing these dinosaurs is. <laughs> and he just... He throws away the packet that's been given to him. Because he can't pronounce the names pronounce of the dinosaurs. dinosaurs. <laughs> the big one with the bill. Like, he's just... <laughs> Elvis! Go get Elvis! Yeah, yeah, it's it's... It's pretty funny. It's just little moments like that that seem humanistic. It does suffer, though, from a lot of problems in the third act. Well, and so, again, if you read the background, Spielberg literally wanted to bring the dinosaurs to the mainland in the third movie. Yeah. But then he was just like, I'm not going to direct another one, so let's cram them in. Let's just do it now. Let's just cram them in. There's like a very natural (laughs) end point for this film and then it goes another 20 or 30 minutes with a t-rex running around san diego which is ridiculous and you get all the stupid things that you saw spielberg do like an et where here's the outside alien presence looking in the window of suburbia like it's uh, too cute by half too cute and and without that i think it's a much stronger film if they had well you know it also that that last section of being on the mainland gives way too much time to the nephew, who is a cartoon villain. Yeah, right. Yeah, the nephew of uh, John Hammond, Ugh. Uh, who's just, you know, ridiculous mustache-twirling evil. Yeah. You know, we're going to imprison these animals, and we're going to put them in a zoo, and we're going yeah. to bring them to San Diego, and yeah, but, I hope I represent the investors, and it's... Yeah, it's, yeah the characters really fall apart and in Spielberg's last section. I mean, it's fine. I just see this through line in all of Spielberg's works. He hates... Like lawyers, just hates <laughs> hates lawyers. Well, don't we all? <laughs> no, no. We uh, some of hates, my friends are lawyers. Hates like lawyers. lawyers. Hates any sort of like board of investors. You know, he is yeah. clearly an auteur who I doesn't like. I think he's playing to the audience. I don't know that he really dislikes them. He's just making popcorn. You know, I guess it just popcorn. keeps coming up so much, man. I know, I know. But he he's got a very broad stroke when he's making a blockbuster movie for a general audience but i really like lost world but still we persisted we persist because our favorite jurassic park and the one that should enter canon is jurassic park 3 directed by joe johnston year of our lord 2001 joe takes the thesis yeah. of the past two films yeah. and delivers. Yeah. And the first two are more than two hours long. He delivers it in an hour and a half. Just f- straight to the vein. It's awesome. Straight to the vein. Doesn't and, mess around. And you can tell because it, when the parents trying to find their lost child land on the, the broken, deserted airstrip on the same island as in Jurassic Park 2, right, it's great, you know, Sam Neill, we'll talk about him in a second, but, you know, he's like, what are we doing landing, right? Like, he's freaking out because he's got PTSD. And they, they start to wander around, right, these mercenaries that you see them start to fan out. So Neil is still standing at the foot of the ladder to come off the plane, and you hear something in the woods, and suddenly everybody's running. I mean, that takes like 40 seconds of screen time. Yeah. There's no 10 minutes of debating this and talking. And well, I wonder if it's dinosaurs. Like, like, right. There's or, no question that the island is dangerous. The animals 
do not have something that really bothers me in the first two films is it feels like the dinosaurs have a sense of dramatic tension. The dinosaurs yeah. know what the scariest thing for them to do would be. Right. There's only one or two instances of that in Jurassic Park 3. A lot of the time, the dinosaurs just freaking go at it. They just go. Because yeah. they're animals. They yeah. wouldn't... They're, even if they're really intelligent, which is part of the thesis of this film, they still wouldn't really care, you know, about what's the most dramatic thing. No, they're eating. Yeah, they're just eating. They're like eating. So when you first see the Spinosaurus, he's not like... Ooh, I'm going to get you humans. Ooh, I'm moving in the background. I wonder yeah. if you see me. It's charging across the air, uh, the uh, runway of the airport, yeah. eating the guy. He hits the plane. It goes crashing. Uh, the physics of this film also feel much better. Yes. This feels like a weightier film. You see the damage that this inflicts mm-hmm. on people a lot more. Yeah. You've got cuts, scrapes, abrasions, even on the child actor that they have yeah. in this film, which is great. Yeah. Because, you know, the kids in the first films, they just, I mean, obviously I don't want to see any of the children, like, harmed, harmed, but they don't even have any cuts. They don't have any bruises. Right. And they're falling around, and everyone's uh, getting attacked by dinosaurs, and you should have something. There should be some impact. Some impact. And you see that here. I love all the atmospheric stuff, like the rain and the night in the third Jurassic Park feels much more real to me than the the rain scenes in the first one which are clearly just inside a sound studio yeah it's it's i i mean i don't doubt that the ones here were also inside a sound studio but i think they cranked up that rain machine to like 11 i mean they really (laughs) they were not really worried about you know william h macy getting wet they were like all right boys here it comes yeah we're getting dirty so let's talk i i need to give uh sam neil his props in this one i mean for me to recommend you know, if you want to show a Jurassic Park movie to, say, you know, a kid today, I would make sure that you show them uh, Jurassic Park 3, depending on the age of the kid. Even though it doesn't have Ian Malcolm in it, you know, you can see that Sam Neill's character, right, Dr. Grant, uh, he's got his PTSD, he's been weathered, he's uh, got real wariness about him. And he seems just much more human than he did in the first one. Yeah, one of the most mock scenes of Jurassic Park 3 is actually, I think, a really great character moment, which is Alan falls asleep on the plane en route to the second island of Jurassic Park, and he thinks he's woken up, and he looks over, and everyone's gone in the plane. And the only thing that's there is a raptor. And it talks to him. It says one word. It says, Alan. And, and you know, it wakes him up. He freaks the hell out. And people always make fun of, oh, it's the one with the talking raptor. First off, it's a dream. Yeah. Second off, I think that's a really great representation of how messed up he is. Yeah, you From his experience yeah. on, on you know, the first island. Yeah. And he talks about that also just the right amount. He doesn't, like, drone on and on about it. Like, this is not a film about his trauma, but it's very much shaped by it. His character is shaped by it. It informs everything. He gets a lot of screen time, and you know what? The fact that I'm okay with it when I really don't like Sam Neill as an actor in anything shows you, I think, how good this movie is. Yeah. And what I do like about the Jurassic Park series, right? I mean, it's a sci-fi series. It's a popcorn movie. It's a summer blockbuster, so most people don't think of it as art. But you know what? They do add important wrinkles with every single stage, right? So... 
the addition from going from Jurassic Park 1 to 2 is, okay, now, you know, John Hammond isn't around and we're not actually making a park. This is the second island, which is sort of your incubator for the dinosaurs. And it's all decayed because the dinosaurs took over. So that's a good development. Third development going from Jurassic Park 2 to 3 is, well, the raptors can talk to each other and we can kind of talk to them using 3D printing, you know, nasal cavities. That's pretty cool. I like that. Uh, and again, some more of the human trauma. And then I actually did like the idea of going from three to four, right? Years later, when they reboot the series, hey, they actually got the park up and running. And Chris Pratt can actually control the raptors to some degree. Mm-hmm. So the broad ideas I actually like as we go through this this mega blockbuster series. Mm-hmm. The problem with the fourth one is it, it repeated too much of episode one for me. And, you know, Pratt was just doing some ridiculous stuff and, and the script was, was no good. So Yeah, and uh, I think that there's enough thrills inherent to uh, the dinosaurs as they are that you don't need something like the Indominus Rex, which is this, you know, right. it's crossed with dinosaur DNA and it's... Uh, or the park itself. I mean, thing. this idea, you have Jurassic Park to talk about the evils of man and capitalism yeah. and marketing. Right, that's why genetic manipulation, genetic manipulation to make money, right? But that's actually a factor even in the second and the third one, right? There, there's money making devices propelling the plot, even though you don't have the multicolored jeeps, (laughs) right? So you, I think you can get that in Jurassic Park three. In Jurassic Park four, when you have thousands of people running, screaming, and getting squashed. It's sort of the problem with Man of Steel, which is, okay, there's action for my entertainment, but, you know, we're actually talking about thousands of people getting yeah. killed. And at some level, I can tell that, and I don't want that for my entertainment. Yeah, no, uh, Jurassic World <laughs> right? also features, you know, one of the most brutal deaths in the series of, like, the, the babysitter woman, yeah, where the Tyrannodon picks her up and throws her down and pecks yeah. at her, like, through her chest and then throws yeah. her into the water and the giant thing eats her, and it's it's yeah. horrifying. Yeah. She had done nothing as a character to deserve that kind of death. Yeah. There's nothing. And and the whole thing... Jurassic World just, like, radiates cynicism to me. Yeah. It's a very cynical movie. It seems to have very negative things to say about the audience because they're like, oh, audiences want a bigger dinosaur with more teeth that's scarier and, you know... That squashes more people. Squashes more people, and I... I just, and we get that from Godzilla. I think it's an intensely cynical film, and <laughs> Jurassic Park three, I think, is it's, it's m- such a rare sequel that really doesn't escalate. It really does no. not increase. No, it doesn't. The level of threat. I mean, it proves what you have always said to me, which is that you know, as long as you have characters that you care about. It doesn't matter the size of the peril that you put them in. As long right. as they're in peril, right. you'll care. Joe Johnston does the hard work of getting us to care about a new cast of characters hey, and a new situation. I would personally like to say that I care about Tia Leone a lot. <laughs> well, I care about William H. Macy. I mean, that's <laughs> really important. I think that he so, make it through East Sorna alive. So what it boils down to is does a piece of art have heart? Does it care about humans? Does it reflect the real emotions that we have in our real lives. And I think the third one does the best job of that. So Yeah, I, I think so too. It's a story about parents and their children. Yep. You know, both by blood and, you know, who we accept into our lives as, mm-hmm. you know, uh, parental figures. Yep. Yep. It's good and stuff. yeah, and it doesn't radically change anything that you know from the previous films. It does not 
you know, say another problem we have with Jurassic World is Jurassic World very much does not talk about the second and third films. Really does not address them. Yeah, really kind of... <laughs> pushes them out of canon. So we react against that. I react in direct opposition to that and tell you I will buy another copy of Jurassic Park 3 before I buy Jurassic World there you go. on any sort of home media. Well, and I'm not going to give the fifth one any money. No, I'm not giving the fifth one any money after the fourth one. I think it's a very cynical enterprise, and uh, I didn't care about spoilers for that, so I spoiled myself just fine. I won't spoil you folks listening to the podcast. You but, spoiled me, but yes, I don't care. But, <laughs> oh, oh. Oh yeah, oh! right. So the end of this There's one. There's some it, stupid stuff in this so, one, folks. So they've set it up for uh, you know the sixth one. You just teed up the sixth one, and they did it in a really dumb way. But we can't spoil it. We can't we, spoil okay, it. we won't spoil it. But our recommendation is if you have you know one movie of Jurassic Park to show to someone who's never seen any of them, show them three. Yep. All you have to know going into three is there was a park full of dinosaurs. It went wrong. That's all you this gotta, dude used to be there. Yeah, that's all you got to He know. was there when it went wrong. That's yeah. all you need to know. That's it. It's a very simple setup. Yeah. And Joe makes it work perfectly. He makes it work for an hour and a half. He cuts half an hour yeah. off of the time that the other two take. Blah, 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 and blah, blah. And I don't blah, feel like I lost anything in terms of the characters or the blah, pacing. Blah, blah, blah. It's a great film. It's a great film. All right. Thank you very much. This has been Bentley. And I'm Samuel. With the Re View Podcast. podcast. Dun 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 dun.